Welcome to the 525 Records podcast, sponsored by High West Whiskey, Double Rye, fantastic. Uh, my guest today on the podcast is Jared Richard. He's the frontman for the band The Verbs out of San Jose, California. Jared, how you doing today, buddy? Good, good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. It's good to finally get this done. We've been trying to do a podcast episode for a long time, and it's finally here, and I'm so stoked. I can't believe it. Uh, the song you just heard a little snippet of there in the beginning is uh, called Gravity. It's off the Verb's brand new double record. It's a double record. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, what does that song mean to you? What is it about? I mean, it's uh, ironically about alcohol. And uh, by the way, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I heard you are living clean and sober in Las Vegas. Clean and sober is a whistle. <sighs> Uh, if we can, Johnny, give me my screen. Uh, the Verbs have a great website. Uh, it's theverbs.com. You can find out all about The Verbs. You can. There's links. There's uh, pictures all about the record. Uh, we should give a quick shout-out real quick to the other members of The Verbs. Uh, pronounce his name for me, will you, Paul? Singolani. Singolani. I know. Last time you were like, Chingolani. No, no, no. <laughs> it's Singolani. Yeah. Singolani. Okay, that's great. He uh, plays the bass, does a bang-up job. Yep. Uh, uh, Jeff Hamm is on the drums. Uh, he's been in a bunch of bands. Uh, was it Weapon 11? Yep. All over the place in the NorCal area. Really good dude. And, um, you know, it's just, it's so hard to keep a band together. Even when you're young and good-looking and everybody's, you know, working crappy jobs and, you know, they're they're fully committed to the project and everybody's on the same page and like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to practice every day. We're going to get really good. But we're going to make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even in that situation, it's hard to keep the thing going more than a couple of three, four years, you know, and even harder. Once you get to a certain stature in life, maybe you got a mortgage, maybe a couple of kids, uh, you know, but you guys, you've made it through the pandemic now. You just put out a double record. You got a, a few shows coming up in the NorCal area, I believe yep. Pacifica, uh, Campbell, yep. and uh, Sunnyvale. Is that uh, Sunnyvale, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which you can find all about on the verbs.com website check it out yeah verbs.com slash tour um that's uh that'll get you right there awesome 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 and yeah to your point um yeah keeping a band together is uh a challenge especially you know when you uh when you're not 20 anymore um that said uh paul and i have actually been in probably about six thousand bands in the last 20 years um one of them was called audio bender yeah, and uh, that was kind of the early genesis of the verbs was Audio Bender. A bit, yeah. And um, there's a famous video on YouTube from you guys playing the whiskey in LA. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I also did a solo episode last summer all about the verbs double record. So uh, nobody puts out a double record in today's day and age. It's really impressive. So I felt like, you know what, I need to cover this. And as a proud member of the new. 525 family, uh, I felt a duty and an obligation to uh, talk about it because it's so awesome, you know? I mean, doing all those guitar tracks is tough. I mean, how long did it take you start to finish just to record this record? Forget about writing it, but... Uh, yeah, so um, Jeff was a champion and uh, he banged out all 15 tracks um, in, I want to say it was a single eight-hour session in the studio. Um, I went in and, uh, you know, most of my, uh, 
I do the bulk of my writing before it even gets to the band. It, you know, I do a demo recording in my home studio and then I bring it to the band and I say, hey guys, this is my idea. And we kind of, uh, you know, arrange it and flush it out from there. Um, but when I get into the studio is where I do the real, like the finishing touches and, and I like to experiment a lot. Um, and so if I was just in the studio with the guitar trying to experiment and trying to finish these songs, it would take a lot more money than, than anyone I know has. So, um, I have a home studio and I actually did the guitar tracking at home and, um, you know, saved them and, and uploaded the tracks to the studio at which point they were mixed in and, and all that. So that's really incredible and a huge time saver. But again, you have to be on the page of you. I know exactly what I'm going to do before I do it, mm. where I'm not just, Oh, give me another, give me another run. Let me, let me try that again. Give me another overdub. You know, you had a very precise plan that you executed. It was not like, we'll go in the studio and wing it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean the studio, we, we definitely knew exactly what we were doing. We knew the exact song order. Um, it was, uh, it was a very, conscious effort to make a double album and in the exact order um so if if you don't know i, I know you've, you've heard the album other people who haven't heard the album um it's essentially it's it's a double album the first half is called the white album the second half is the black album and they're they're two distinct halves uh the white album is more um a little more pop a little more uh power pop kind of punk um but it's it's uh it's a brighter sound uh the the second album the black album is a much darker sound uh minor chords um heavier crazy distortion um it's essentially my my writing's all over the place and in a way it's kind of on purpose because i'm sick of going to shows where i see a band play and after the first song or the second song, I know exactly what they sound like, and that's all I need to know. It's it's over. The part of the joy for me of of going to a, to a show is um, obviously hearing songs that you know, or you know, hearing songs that that you like, but also not being bored to tears by the same style, the same song over and over again. So I really, when I write, I, I actually um, from years of being in a cover band, hilariously is. Um, you know, I learned that variety is not a not a dirty word. So, I think it's a perfect juxtaposition of exactly the the kind of tough choice that you have to make as a frontman between, you know, you've got really harder rock songs that are very black, very dark, very you know, really just rock and roll. You know, but there's other songs that are much more uh, on the songwriter side, and it, it's this uh, to me what I see from the outside perspective as this battle between you know which way do we go you know right now you guys are sort of doing both hence the double record yeah and it's it's got to be a tough place you know to, to not get pigeonholed on one side or the other you know and to try to do them both is very big it's very ambitious I'll, I'll tell you it's a pain in the ass to come up with a single <laughs> it's it's so so much easier to just lean back on the oh we're a rock hard rock band yeah. black we're going dark we're going to kick you in the balls you know versus yeah. you know here i'm going to open up and be vulnerable in a song that I've written, which, you know, it's, it's much harder to do as an artist. It's easier to just go out there and rock, you know, but the minute you try to mix in, uh, more, you know, songs with much more depth, you know, it gets tricky, you know, and it's hard to walk that line. And that's, you know, something you guys do pretty well. Thank you. Thank you. It's, um, it does, 
it's definitely something that we think about and you know especially the uh the direction that we go in now um do we continue to you know kind of straddle the fence and just ride both sides and you know make a, a power pop you know punk rock uh anthem or do we go like the the tool direction and the you know the you know queens of the stone age kind of thing you know the heavy um, stuff and we love both and and it's it's going to be it's going to be a challenge I, I i think um ultimately we're probably going to go in a different direction and just you know find something new because at the end of the day what we care about is is making great music and and not just great music for the sake of it but you know would i want to listen to this if i wasn't playing it period and and that's that constantly evolves so you think about the cost to do a double record. I mean, it's enormous. And you guys flew the, it's almost like you own the record label and you're like, you know, ooh. I mean, the amount of, it, it came together so quick. You guys did the raw drum tracks and, you know, you're doing the guitars from home and, you know, before you know it, boom, it's out, you know, mixed and mastered. And I mean, uh, you know, you, you make writing seem like it's the easy part, you know, which is the hardest part of all. But, you know, here you are, 15 songs, all pre-written planned out you know all the guitar lines it's just a matter of going in and executing first of all thank you for that but i need to clarify um so i do write the songs but um jeff and paul definitely bring uh, a lot to the table like i'll, I'll come up with a kind of a, a base theme um and paul will take it to the next level and same thing with jeff i'll i'll, I'll come up with kind of an overall beat of of what i think you know a song is you know, what it needs or, you know, how I feel, um, you know, it's going and what direction it's going. And uh, Jeff will really come in and lay down, you know, the the fills, the the intricacies that I could never, you know, dream up. So it's it's definitely a collaborative effort. How do you feel about John Mayer? Oh, electric third rail. I mean, you know, this is something I wanted to bring up with you because uh, – He's another guy that, you know, he's got too much talent for one man to have, you know. Fucking true. He shouldn't, nobody should be that good looking and that talented. I mean, here's what pisses me off about John Mayer, right? Like, it's one thing to be ugly and be that talented musically, you know. And, I mean, nobody can take anything away from his guitar playing. He's one of the best guitar players that's ever lived. But it's still, it just, when you see him in a commercial or like a fundraiser or like on a, in a songwriting video, for instance, like he does these little clips where it's like, you know, here's how you, here's how you really write a song. You know, maybe you do a little lick like this, you know. He's just, I'm not even trying. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and it, bro. Just, it really pisses me the fuck off. Like, dude, if you're going to be that good, you should be like a little bit ugly. Volkswagen and receive a custom first act guitar. Plug into the stereo and rock your V-dub from bumper to bumper. John Mayer goes outside. Presented by Land Rover. I'm going to go outside today and I'm going to get away with this. I really am seeing what I can get away with without making people go like, oh, come on. I've sort of committed myself to some extent. 
to always being in that zone of something that makes people go, what? But then the fun part for me is finding a balance. And then when you get away with it, you want to do something else that makes someone else go, well, now what is that? Pretty much how I expect. John, lay back. I'm going to take a few bars. Oh, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And in fact, I can make a record that's in some way provocative, if not antagonizing, right? I want to get in trouble. I want someone to tell me this is shit. I'm just a dude who buys a bunch of clothes and has figured out his own sort of code for putting them on. Lest anyone think that this has become too precious. Just a dude who buys a bunch of clothes. Aren't we all? We're all just people who buy a bunch of clothes. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be like an Adonis, you know, just running around slaying actresses, you know. It's just unfair, God damn it! don't you think? Bro, it's... Uh... So yes, to a hundred percent of all of that. So yes, John Mayer is, bro. I mean, it's there is no fairness in the universe to John Mayer. I mean, okay, brilliant guitarist, brilliant songwriter. I mean, he went to uh, what was it, um, Berkeley School of Music? Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's from. Connecticut or something, but he went to Berkeley and he dropped out because he was too good for his fucking professor. Of course he did. But I mean, listen, okay, so for the douchebaggery, which is clearly there, also in in spades is the genie. I mean, it's it's a problem. It's a problem. He is not the classical shredder at all. He's very blues-based. He basically... He copped 90% of his stuff from Stevie Ray Vaughan, which, hey, if you got to pick somebody, if that's you, a good good guy. If you can play it at all, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It, especially, you know, accurately. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I worked at a casino for 20 plus years. And, you know, from, from about 2002 to about 2006, you could not walk through a casino without hearing Your Body is a Wonderland. Fuck that song. And think about those lyrics. Your body is a wonderland. I'll use my hand. Can I mean, what the fuck, dude? Really? I mean, what what A and R dude fucking made him make that change? There's no way that you write those lyrics naturally, and it's not a it's not a producer note or something like that. It's just trying to imply that sexuality and turn him into Britney Spears. Now, I mean, if he shows up today, holy shit, it's John Mayer coming to the studio. No, just kidding. Uh, but you know, if he shows up today and is like, no, man, I wrote those lyrics. The record label let me do whatever I want, especially when I was just coming up. And, didn't have any power. I mean, I'd be shocked, but you know, I want to run through the halls of the high school. I want to sing at the top of my lungs. So you know what? Here's where I disagree with you. I I, I believe he actually did write those fucking lyrics because he also okay. Not only is he just a beautiful specimen of man, which I can say as a as a married heterosexual dude who's just like, yeah, he's fucking goddamn it. In this, it's day, a problem. In this day and age, if you're not attracted to him, you're almost like homophobic. I mean, yeah, you know. You know what? We're going to strike that from the record. <laughs> you just do whatever the fuck you want, huh? 
so not only is he a beautiful specimen of man, which is, which is a problem in itself, you know, we were already feeling, you know, like inferior when we walk past him, you know, if we could possibly walk past him and just smell some of that air. But also he happens to be a flipping genius. The dude is, is smart. If you ever, you know, seen an interview with him, I mean, he's just rattling off genius things at, at lightning speeds that it's a problem. It's a problem. So yeah, this, this guy, basically if, if anyone out there can take him out, I'm just saying I, I, I got money. Bro, what if he's not human? What if he's like some kind of like super robot, like clone that the defense department has put out into the world to like kill rock and roll? Anybody from even wanting to try because, you know, what are you going to do? You can't be John Mayer, right? I mean, unless you're in a punk band. Are you going to try to do what John Mayer does? Good luck, dude. Dude, it's chat GPT. It was like pre-chat GPT. It was chat JM. Um, wait, what's his middle name? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's John Mayer, 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 John, John Mayo, Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, jealousy is a thing, you know, but I mean, dude, just for the last 23 years, the world's been subjected to John Mayer. Oh, you know what? Speaking of which, you guys played a gig recently. The Verbs played a gig at the Hotel Utah in San Francisco. Yes. And on the website for the Hotel Utah, they have a couple of artists that have played that room, which is the whole reason I wanted to talk about this. But uh, one of them is Frank Black from the Pixies doing a solo set. Did not know that. The other one is John Mayer. Fuck you. Yeah. Up on there with just an acoustic guitar and himself. And not only is he killing it musically, but his interpersonal relationship with the audience in between songs, it is just like, dude, it's too much. You're too perfect, dude. Like, everybody, you're too charismatic. Everybody loves you too much. You're too good of a guitar player. It's just not fucking fair that one guy can have that much fucking talent. But you played, so since you play the same rooms as he does. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa for a second. Like, are you telling me that I played the exact same room as John Mayer? I mean, I'm sure our crowd sizes were exactly the same. Well, but aside from that, he, those guys, they show up there after the gig to do an impromptu set. And this was, I believe it was in the late 2000s, maybe early 2010s. So it was a while ago. But but. the Utah, just to, just to clarify, has been around for about 120 years. Yeah. So it's literally, yeah. Used to be a brothel, I believe. God bless America. Yeah. Um, you know what I'd do if I had a million bucks? What would you do? Two chicks at the same time. Hell yeah, player. There are people uh, playing for the love of music. I'm one of them. People let me have this stage. This is a cool room. I've never been in this room before.
says, keep your stone to run the lights on the telephone. Me and my son, who says, keep your stone? Who says, I can't be free from all of the things that I used to be? Rewrite my history. Who says, I can't be free? It's been a long You know, impromptu shows in NorCal venues. Um, you guys, before the, you were the Verbs, you and Paul were in a band called Audio Bender, and you guys played. Uh, what was the name of that place in Fremont? It was uh, the Saddle Rack. Saddle Rack, and just there was a ton of amazing musicians that showed up that night. Uh, who were who were some of the people that you got to hang out with and on this gig that the Ver or the Audio Bender was playing? So this wasn't the happiest of circumstances. This was a benefit for. Uh, a sound engineer at uh, Saddle Rack who um, who had cancer, and so uh, a lot of musicians um, from all over the uh, the country came out and and played a benefit concert. And basically, they were um, you know playing, and it was it was an auction, and um, you know just a lot of a lot of a who's who of of old school rock icons including your band audio bender how do you get on that show yeah I, how I, did I, you guys get on that show I, I i don't know i mean it was keith st john uh it was rudy sarzo um god tracy guns from guns and roses legend pre-slash um i mean so many people uh i'm i'm, I'm forgetting like a dozen but Essentially, you know, I'm I'm backstage in a green room with these these guys, and and I'm I'm like titans I, of rock. Yeah, I'm I'm warming up with with Tracy Guns. Like literally, he was before Slash Guns and Roses. It's, Dude, it's why Guns and Roses called Guns and Roses. Tracy Guns, yeah. Axl Rose, L.A. Guns, Howl L.A. Guns. Rose. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows the story. And, and he's 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 chilling on a on a. It looked like an R9 Les Paul. He's like, hey, Jared, what's um, up? Yeah, you know, playing in a little pig nose just in the green room, warming up. And I'm just like, hey, I bump into Keith and John. Um, he was a singer for uh, Montrose. Um, you know, this basically uh, 
uh, post David Coverdale reincarnate of of Robert Plant, and I I I was like, hey, Saint John, I'm just coming up to you know hang out with you in the green room because you, we're peers. I bet and, you're pretty excited to meet me, huh? Yeah, no, bro, no, it was bro. It you was know, you know what I would have done? I would have been like, oh, hey, and then I would have ran out the window. No, uh, it, it gets it gets even it gets even more awkward and 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 awesome and and. Huh. So I, I run into Keith St. John, St. John and I'm like, hey, you know, cool, I'm I'm here. I'm your peer and I'm totally kidding. He said, hey, what's your name? I'm all Jared Richard. He's all, oh, you audio bender. So you got a great fucking voice. I oh almost fucking died, God. bro. I almost fucking died. I, I don't. But we were, it was literally like uh, 13. I mean, you had members of the Tubes, Ozzy, Whitesnake, uh, LA Guns, so many uh, iconic bands and, and it was little audio bender. We were the only non legends that got must, to take the stage. That must've been a hell of a manager. I don't know yeah. how that happens. That's fucking awesome, dude. So you like to drink a little bit. Yes. How often would you say you get fucked up? I don't know. Three, four, five, six nights a week. 525 Records podcast brought to you by High West Whiskey. Oh, we just. Uh, me a refill, will you? Oh. Of this spectacular rye blend. Talk to me about this particular whiskey. What makes it so special? It's rye, double rye, as I recall. So, yes, this is High West double rye. Um, High West is a distillery out of Utah, of traditionally, all states. A traditionally dry, as you, you know, a traditionally dry state. So how they got around this, because there are no distilleries in Utah other than High West, they fucking bought a post office, a post office that had been abandoned, and they built a distillery on that land. And that land, because it was a post office, is federal land, and federal land cannot be subject to state laws. This is good to know. This is very fucking good to know. Well, it tastes fantastic. Yeah, hit me with a little... uh... Hi, Whistler. Thank you, buddy. I'll be straight up with you. I've got a bit of a drinking problem, okay? A little bit. All right, cheers. Yeah. Oh, now we're doing it. Fun fact, we had four more bottles of this. We were uh, drinking Manhattans last night, and you ordered All a Manhattan bad. that blew me away. I've only had like kind of traditional Manhattans. This one was what? How, how do it was an orange peel instead of bitters, as I recall. Close. Um, so I I like mine up stirred. What does uh, that mean? So up means no ice. Uh, stirred is you stir it nice, but when you pour it, you don't keep any ice in there. Got it. Um, and uh, yeah, and I also. I, I order it with a twist of orange instead of the cherry because I think the orange, it, it just cuts different. Uh, the orange makes the Manhattan. I, I, I will never drink another Manhattan without that orange. I mean, fuck a cherry. Who wants that shit? Once you have a Manhattan with that orange, man, it just explodes the drink to a whole new level. I've never had. Fuck a cherry and explodes. I'm just saying that's what she said, bro. <laughs> Smells like liquor in here. You just do whatever the fuck you want, huh? (laughs) 
Um, you live in San Jose. You've been known to do a little wine tasting. Um, I fancy myself an amateur sommelier. Um, I know nothing, but I love wine, and I love. Um, are you familiar with Cake Bread Cellars? Steve Cake Bread was in the tech industry. I am familiar with Cake Bread Cellars. I think it's kind of shit. Really? See, I love their Chardonnay. I feel like the Cake Bread Chardonnay is. It could be a thing. Uh, I just recall um, Cake Bread Merlot was talked up to me. Really? For years and years. And I ran out and I bought a case, which was not cheap. And because you're I, the kind of guy that buys wine by the case, you know, <laughs> nowadays. It's not my fault. You save money. You have to do it, really. I mean, but uh, yeah. So I, I bought a case, and it was uh, it was not not. It did not live up to the hype. Well, according to the movie Sideways, starring Paul Giamatti, yeah, we're not drinking fucking Merlot. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's Pinot, and and to Paul Giamatti's point, I am I'm a huge Pinot Noir fan. Probably because of that fucking movie. How do you feel about Willamette Valley and Oregon Pinots? You ever drink, uh, you know, any good Oregon Pinots? I have not. Um, for the most part, I'm I'm kind of just a snob of of the direct vicinity, you know, where I live. So Gilroy, California, uh, Morgan Hill. Uh, there's there's some phenomenal wineries, not just Fernwood. Uh, you have Martin Ranch. You have uh, Stefania. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's some some great hidden gems there, and it's I'll, I'll take the fucking Pepsi challenge, uh, you know, against any Napa Valley wineries. Fuck that Napa bullshit. Napa bullshit. Yeah, and they 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 basically triple the prices and say we're fucking Napa. It's bullshit. You know, Gavin Newsom owns a couple of vineyards. It there. doesn't fucking surprise me. You know, uh, Maynard also. You know, he's in the wine. Big time Gavin, wine you business. want some? Bring it, bro. I mean, how do you get to get away with owning vineyards in Napa, going to the French Laundry during the middle of the pandemic? Like Maskless. <laughs> Not that I would ever advocate for any of that stuff. I, I like freedom. But, uh, you know, just to be the hypocrite, if you're the guy out there telling everybody they got to go fucking stay in their house for six months and then you're out at the French fucking laundry and you own vineyards and, and your vineyards are getting COVID money, we are getting way sidetracked here. Yeah. Uh, I, will, I will say that I, I, I somewhat straddled the line. In the sense that when COVID first came out, I was scared out of my fucking mind. Granted, uh, it was a unique situation because my wife and I were expecting our very first child. That must have been nerve-wracking. And it was literally, she gave birth a month after lockdown started. So we're eight months pregnant when they're like, hey, guess what? We're all going to die. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking great. I'm sure there's going to be food for my infant daughter. So I, I, I yeah, I... I reacted, you know, reasonably and went to the store and grabbed every single non-perishable can of fucking bullshit and, and hoarded it. Oh, so much toilet paper. Anyway, I was, you know, I was insistent that we were all going to die for about, you know, the first nine months. And then I kind of looked around and said, oh, hold on, this, this gets weird because who's going to be the the really courageous politician who says... Oh wait. No no no. This is bullshit. This is this is kind of a flu. Yes, the the really unhealthy people are going to die and that sucks, but we shouldn't shut down everything. Nobody's going to be that courageous. The cure is worse than the disease at that point. Yeah, at that know. point, yeah. And You've I think got... you know the the economy is a really big fucking ocean liner and it 
once you start turning it, it takes a long time to turn, but but it eventually turns and we are reaping the fucking rewards yes. right now. Yeah. In uh, my own opinion, I'm a musician. Don't listen to me. We just got blocked on YouTube. So Perfect. That's great. But uh, you know, getting back to wine, I mean, um like uh, Coppola wine. I think it sucks. What oh, do you absolutely. think? And absolutely. Like, uh, how do you how do you get to get away with like those prices that Coppola's charging? I'm gonna make you an offer. You yeah. can't refuse. It's fucking bullshit, you know? I, every bottle of Coppola I've ever had has just been fucking garbage, dude. He no should have shot himself in the face after Godfather 3. That's hell of a director. <laughs> you can't. We gotta cut that one out. <laughs> or keep it. I'm not sure want. which. <laughs> it's kind of punk rock, bro. You just do whatever the fuck you want, huh? Mm. Uh, well... On that note, yeah, you know the tech world's crazy, uh, but you know one of the the thing about you with the the wife having the baby, you got out of the hospital just in time because it was right after that where they were like, "You're having a heart attack? Screw you! It's COVID. We're only taking COVID patients." Like people couldn't get like life saving cancer surgeries or uh, hip replacements, any kind of heart condition. They were just like, "No, we are only taking COVID patients." And if you come in the hospital, you got to be like double vaxxed or you got to test every day or whatever. You guys squeaked out. Out of there just in time to where it hadn't really come down there it must have been just like i can't imagine how traumatic that was to be a first-time father to go through something like that you know during the height of covid i mean my god bro i was yeah so uh admittedly i'm a little older than most fathers you know i i'm a musician lifelong i kind of figured i'd never have kids and then you know you, you meet the woman that you want to you know, spend the rest of your days with, and then... Uh, what are you, 35, 36? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Close. Uh, and, you know, you decide, hey, you know what, uh, let's let's do the kid thing. And then, you know, you have these ideas, like, okay, so we're going to have help. We have this all planned out. We're, you know, it's it's perfect. What could possibly go wrong? We're going to have my ma's going to come out for a while and help out and her ma's going to come out and help out and we're going to have family bringing us food all the time and you know it's it's going to be basically the greatest vacation of our lives because you know that's what what you know newborns are right so then the lockdown happens and suddenly we have zero help and we feel like you remember that fucking movie uh the blue lagoon uh vaguely So I believe it was Brooke Shields and some fucking blonde guy, essentially two teenagers on a fucking deserted island and they have a kid and they have no idea what to do. And they're like, oh, that's exactly what we fucking were. Yeah. It's like we can't. My wife had uh, her baby shower sitting on her front porch while her family were in the street. And those are the kind of hidden costs of COVID that really, you know, they don't get measured into the picture of the COVID response. You know, all the, you know, the people hugging each other through plastic, like uh, your family members are in hospice, they're dying and you can't even go in and say goodbye, right? There's these tearjerker videos where they're, they're going through the window, you know, and it's like, my God, you know, talk about the, just the, and meanwhile, all the old people, they're getting punished the most. They're like, you know, oh, we got to lock you old people. You're the most at risk. So you can't do any fucking thing. Meanwhile, the old people are like, I don't, don't sacrifice my life for the sake of the youth. This is bullshit. You know, there's horrific stories of old people in like nursing homes. They wouldn't let them leave. 
leave for months. You know, think about what that does to your psyche. Not to mention, like all we we have now have an entire generation of children that have gone through this. You know, no school for a year or two. You know, and I mean, just the the mental toll that that takes on you at that age. Don't get me started. Anyway, two opinions before we 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 break from this incendiary topic. Number one, if it was not old people dying, then the old people in power wouldn't have fucking done a goddamn thing. Number one. Number two. Totally forgot number two. It's number two, me. fuck John Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get number two. I had it. It was right there. Oh, oh. Welcome back to the Five Five Records Podcast brought to you by High West Whiskey. Double rye. Cheers, buddy. I don't know if I can still cheers. Oh, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad you're doing the pod. Um, you're you play Reverend guitars. Fuck yes. Solely, and I want you to explain to me why. Because if you look at some of these guitars behind me, I'm a Les Paul guy, for instance. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than a Les Paul and a Marshall, if you ask me. Now that's going to piss a lot of people off, but you know, I love Stratocasters, hollow bodies, any kind of thing. But you have this relationship with Reverend guitars, and it, I just want to know how that started. You know, and um, what makes them so good to you, and where are they built? And just tell me about your obsession with Reverend guitars. So I started with Les Pauls. Um, right. It was, I mean, they're the classic shape, the classic sound. It's the thing. I couldn't afford a Les Paul, so I, I went Epiphone, which, granted, they are not bad guitars at all. If, you know, basically the headstock is is the biggest uh, detractor. So they use, you know, cobbled together wood as opposed to a single makeable top, and sometimes they use veneers and stuff like that. Nobody cares. I mean, they, they sound good. They look good. It's... You know, less Pauls. I mean, you can't you can't argue against it unless you like money. They're then, not they're not cheap. They are not cheap. And now, like a studio is like eighteen hundred bucks. It's fucking nuts. Uh, so I then I went to Fender, and you know, basically the first time I picked up a Stratocaster, I was like, this feels so much better. And oh my god, what is this whammy bar thing? It's amazing. And but then the bridge pickup, you know, it was just like ice pick to the fucking brain, and I. I you know, I, although I, I did play Fender for quite a while, um, I, I I actually uh, I hot rodded a few Fenders, um, you know, Strats, and you know, turned them into Super Strats and stuff. You know, Seymour uh, uh, Duncan, Pearly Gates, Bridge stuff, um, and and they were cool, but it, it still wasn't it wasn't perfect. You know, there were there. I always looked for things. You know, looked for changes. So one day, one day I I heard about Reverend. I I don't remember if it was like in a you know a, a online ad or or you know somebody sent me a flyer. I have no idea. Somehow I got a hold of something called a, a double agent W. Um, the W stands for Wilkinson Tremolo. It's a fucking P ninety in the neck, a humbucker in the bridge. That the neck is perfect it's like a a 59 less paul but a little bit slimmer c-shape uh locking tuners uh i mean fit and finish is amazing oh did i mention they're cheap they're like a thousand bucks they sound amazing 
ever since I found Reverend, I mean, I got fucking stickers on my car, bro. They Oh, dude, you invited me to the Reverend Guitar Club on uh, Facebook or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, who are these fucking assholes? And I get, I'm like, oh my God, dude, there's people that are just crazy about these guitars. I've never seen one in a store. I've never heard about it. how the hell do you even buy a Reverend? Is it direct to order or what? No, I mean, you can go Sweetwater. I mean, it's, it's a little hard to find them in stores. So pretty much you have to buy them online unless you have a specialty. Um, you know, if you're in uh, NorCal area, um, Keith Holland Guitars in Los Gatos, they have uh, some reverence. Shout out. Shout out. Um, I'll expect that check letter, Keith. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, we're doing him the favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, they're just, they're spectacular guitars. And now when I pick up a Les Paul, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And when it costs twice as much, fuck you. And when I pick up a fender, it the neck is is too flimsy, and I see too much plastic, and I'm you know these tuners don't lock, and it costs you know fifty percent more. It's it just it's mind blowing. How many Reverend guitars do you own now? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. Uh, it's I will, a lot, right? Like five or six, something like that. Uh, I want to give a number, but I don't know. Uh, I, I I have about fifteen guitars right now. I'm gonna say like probably ninety percent irreverent. So let's just say ballpark thirteen. Have you ever seen that meme? It's from Goodfellas, where it's uh, you know the uh, you think I'm funny like a clown Joe Pesci scene. Only it's it is uh, it's. Um, you know, uh, so I buy a new guitar, and the wife asks me, "Does that mean you're going to get rid of the old one?" <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that meme. Yes. Yeah. It's, this what am is, I like a clown? I amuse you. Yeah. 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 This is you in a nutshell. I mean, you, you're a prolific poster to Instagram. So all I see in my feed is, "Oh, Jared got another Reverend. Look, yeah. look at this one." Or a Mesa. Yeah. Shout out Mesa. I, I'm I'm in love with Mesa Boogie. What? Why are you in love with Mesa Boogies? Because the quality. I mean, it's point to point. It's they're. So sadly, they were just bought by Gibson. So, really, uh, Gibson's going bankrupt. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they thought maybe we buy fucking Mesa and we're gonna be cool again. Whatever. As long as they leave them alone and just say, "Hey, we're just gonna reap your profits, but you get to to manage everything," I'll be fine. But Mesa, I mean, I, I they, it's just they're they're beautiful amps and. I don't even go for like the uh, the Mark series. Are are you head in a cab? Or are you talking a two by twelve combo? When it, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so I mean, right now I run a, a TA thirty. Um, it's a transatlantic series. Um, they were discontinued. Um, I want to say fifteen years ago, uh, maybe ten years ago. But long story short, uh, Channel One is basically a, a Vox AC thirty. You know their take on it. Um, and it's fucking brilliant. So basically you can change the wattage between 15, 30 and 40 Watts. And then channel two, you can either have like a, a Marshall, you know, JCM 800 or tweed. It's, it's kind of crazy. And so basically in my main rig, by the way, this thing weighs like 20 pounds and it's a metal tank lunchbox, um, head by the way so why, why not just run an ac30 why not just go because ac30 weighs 900 pounds okay so the, it's really a logistic and a sound thing it's, well would you would you like to have a, an ac30 and a jcm 800 do i have roadies yeah it's the same thing that weighs 20 pounds and it's made of metal 
Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Hey, all you 525 fans out there, The Verbs, the band out of San Jose, they've got some shows coming up. I want to tell you about them. Uh, if you are in the NorCal area, if you're in Pacifica, Friday, May 5th, they are playing at Winter's Tavern. They'll be with Avenue Army and Raised by Rats, 8 p.m., $5 at the door. Check them out. If you're in Sunnyvale, California, you can go see the Verbs at the Quarter Note on Friday, June 9th. They'll be playing with the 19s, 8 p.m., $5 at the door. And if you're in Campbell, California, you can see the Verbs for free at the Cardiff Lounge. That's on Friday, August 4th. Be sure to check them out. That's the hometown show. Be sure to check out theverbs.com for all their tour dates, uh, merch, news, everything verbs related and as always listen to the 525 records podcast this podcast is brought to you as always by 525records.com be sure to head over to the website we got all the artists there all your favorites all the links to all the greatest stuff you can check out the podcast you can check out all the latest news you can even buy a Robert Bruce Burnham vinyl record for the low, low price of $20. And um, I'm offering a very special deal. I can't tell you what it is. It'll be a surprise. I can only tell you that if you buy a Robert Bruce Burnham vinyl, I will personally mail it to you in a cardboard vinyl mailer. And you will receive way more than $20 in value in the mail. And uh, that's all I can tell you. Hell yeah, player. So be sure to check out 525records.com for all things 525. And now, back to the podcast. I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except, once my pants are on, I make gold records. Well, that's good for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, well, speaking of Blast from the Past, uh, we were in a band together in high school. Indeed, we were. And uh, I'm going to embarrass the fuck out of both of us by playing some of it. Here we go. This is from 1993, recorded on a boombox onto cassette in the room as it happened. And uh, yeah, the audio sucks, but we're just going to selfishly go through history as a blast from the past. And were we technically dropouts yet? Not, yeah. Anyway, we, got, we both got out in 93 we we're supposed to graduate in 95 but. fun fact kids we we are obviously obviously successful human beings we're both high school dropouts taking the california proficiency exam basically the equivalent of the ged at 15 and a half yes with parental consent they have yes. to sign my uncle smoked me out on the way there but us and we in 1993 it's us uh, the great hans schneidenbach mm. uh we had a great drummer, and uh, we recorded this in our little jam room. And uh, here we are. What is it? 10, 20, 30 years later. It's 30 years. Josh it's, Incognito. That was his name. It's the 30-year anniversary of this recording. And uh, let's just have a listen. Hans, you missed that chord. Yeah. 
four-track magic. It's not even a four-track. It's just a boombox, and you hit record. Oh, it was the... You got to hold play and record? Song about LSD. that awesome guitar player <laughs> I don't know how we didn't end up ruling the world direct Stevie Ray Vaughan ripoff I, I was just about to say I, I actually was going to go Hendrix but I mean, with licks like that, how did we not make it? Still fucking spectacular, bro. Right into a Black Crow's breakdown. Like, that was, yeah. I need a this, this, this literally remedy. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't even know that. <laughs> feedback remember you had uh, a fan on your head on uh, on his amp head because it would overheat and so you had a fan face down on the head like one of those window fans those big blocky motherfuckers we used our first show at the pool party in foster city california shout out it was you, you had a fan on your, your your amp head because you were afraid your your tubes were gonna overheat. I mean that that was the thing that was like spectacular through a crate four cap. Uh, I'd, I'd love to tell you it uh, it was it, if you're if you're an old man like us you'll remember there used to be a store called Radio Shack. Oh, and in Radio Shack they sold solid state amplifiers that were meant for like stereos. Yeah, and what I would do is I would take a PV combo amp, I would output that into the Radio Shack head, which is a big no-no, you know. Uh, never plug a power strip into another power strip, right? So it would just completely... Our engineer. And of course, we had to be at a fucking 11 at all times, so the solid-state head would heat up, and it would, just like your PA, it would clip, and then it would just shut off. And my genius solution as a 15-year-old fucktard was to fucking put a box fan on there to just keep it cool especially in the hot weather you know you gotta remember you're practicing in a garage in california as hot as fuck it's 100 yeah. degrees in this room no ac by the way when i made my garage flipping studio full ac and it cost a trillion dollars well that's good for you <laughs> yeah um, you know fuck you sound clip <laughs> come on man um, sorry sorry bro sorry i'm gonna give you the whole load today uh, yeah, so that, uh, those are good times, man. The best times of my life, I think. You know, but talk, we, you know, we talked earlier about like I miss miss being in a band, you know. Yeah. And for a couple of years there, we were this high school band, and nobody else, you know, we were like the only ones that we knew that were in a situation like that. And we had chicks. Yeah, it was granted great. they were like thirteen and fourteen, but we were like you know 
We were little 15-year-old schnotnose fucking douchebag rock stars, prima donna attitudes, the whole thing. Band meeting Carl's Jr., you remember that? Carl's Jr., okay, so back in the day, for those not in the know, uh... You could still smoke in California. I mean, you could still, still smoke, smoke anywhere. in Carl's Jr. You could smoke in Carl's Jr. You could smoke in fucking McDonald's. The smoking section of McDonald's was kitty corner to the kid section. And they had little fucking uh, ashtrays that were made out of tinfoil. Yeah. Carl's Jr. had the badass ones made out of plastic. And they were big. And we used to actually steal them. And whenever um, things got too serious in the band and we had to have a talk... One of us would announce band meeting, Carl's yeah. Jr., yeah. and, and you had the four of us little fucking snot-nosed 15-year-old rock stars smoking, chain-smoking Marlboro Reds in this Carl's Jr. like a motherfucker. I mean, I can't All imagine back. doing that today. But then we'd have very serious discussions about, you know, well, I don't know about this chord here. Or what about this line? Or, you know. Or we got to fire the singer. Fuck him. <laughs> No, but yeah, it was it was it was ugly. It was hilarious. It was I mean, it was great. We were broke as shit. Uh I, yeah, I would like I would beg you, like, bro, can you get me a superstar flipping cheeseburger? Yeah, 89 I will, cents. Yeah, 89. They were all cheap, but I couldn't afford a damn thing. Now I'm like, I can afford anything I want and I can't eat any of it because I'll get fat overnight. Yeah, but band meaning doesn't mean we're gonna go eat at Carl's Jr. No, no, no. It, it just means we're gonna go suck up a booth and yeah. chain smoke my yeah. Chain smoke lighting one cigarette with our other cigarette that's still lit. Yeah. Cause we're that cool. That fucking cool. Oh, those were the days. And yet we're still alive. Well, speaking of the old days, um, you wrote a book. I wrote a fucking book. You wrote a book. It's uh, a memoir. This is it right here. Um, I've got a signed copy. I published a book. It was it's kind of fucking weird. I mean, talk about ambition. You know, not only do you put out a double record when nobody else is doing that, but you also wrote a book, published it, and um, it talks a lot about some of these early days. I mean, at one point you were homeless, and look at you now. I mean, you're just killing it. And, uh, you know, also a little birdie told me that you once hacked into the MLB.com website <laughs> to give Barry Bonds the win in terms of what was it, a vote or something like that? How did I, you do that? dude? I will neither confirm nor deny this. Um, so long story short, uh, I, I like to, uh, to code a bit and in 07 Barry Bonds, it was his last year. So I'm obviously a, a Giants fan through and through, born and raised in the Bay Area. And that particular year of 07, uh, the All-Star Game was going to be held at Pac Bell Park. It's now called Oracle Park or something. But the time is Pac Bell Park. It's their, their fabulous waterfront ballpark. Yeah, you hit a home run and then it goes in the water. Yeah, McCovey Cove. Um, and Bonds was way behind in the voting. So it, it was kind of a travesty that he wasn't going to get into the All-Star Game in his final year of eligibility i mean he was about to be you know we didn't really know he's going to retire but we you know tea leaves you know um and so basically i wrote a little program this year whoa, all-star whoa, whoa, voting whoa, whoa, whoa. what language uh this one it's a very hilarious unique language it's called auto it I've never heard of that. No one ever has. So it's it's a very uh, high level. So low level languages are like ones that talk to like, you know, your hardware and, you know, the OS, um, your HAL, stuff like that. High level languages are ones that like sit on top of everything that 
basically this high level language, you could make it move the mouse. You could make it click the mouse. You could make it type stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's almost like emulating a, uh, a person, you know, a user. And so the all-star voting for that year was the first year that you could actually vote via website as opposed to having to actually do ballots at the ballpark, right? you know, handwritten ballots. So you had the website and, and they, they didn't hire the smartest guys in the room to do it. And so their, their website had some flaws. I mean, number one, it lets you vote 25 times with the same email address. And, uh, you know, I guess they just thought, you know, Hey, we want, we want repeat visits, whatever, probably to sell ad revenue, who knows. Um, but I, I discovered that you could do it 25 times, refreshing the page, whatever. That's easy, but you could also change the email address and then do it again. No problem, because they're not checking the email address. They're not they're not sending you, you know, some kind of confirmation like, hey, confirm your email address. It's just you put in your email address and you vote 25 times. So I wrote a little script that opens up the website, generates a random email address, votes 25 times for Barry Bonds, refreshes the page, generates another email address, does it again. And so did Barry Bonds win? He did. But... Uh, again, I, I I don't know if it worked. What I do know is I wrote this script and I shared it with uh, some like-minded individuals and uh, a group of, uh, I want to say 10 to 12 of us, uh, ran this thing for uh, about three days straight uh, in the, the very uh, waning days of the voting process. And Bonds jumped up a million votes and he got into his final all-star game. That's so, so cool. That's amazing. You little hacker. You. <laughs> you I little, don't know you. if it was legit, but I did call um, uh, KMBR, our, our local uh, sports talk radio station. I called um, the Razor and Mr. T show, the flamethrower. You're listening to 95.5, the flamethrower. <laughs> so I did call our local sports talk radio station, KMBR, um, the Razor and Mr. T show and Razor, uh, he's no longer with us. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of told him of our exploit. And well, if I could read an excerpt from the book that you wrote uh, that talks about this particular incident, uh, talking about Barry Bonds, he was my hometown hero who grew up here and signed here and stayed true to his roots. And he was losing to a clearly inferior player. Clearly. So I hacked the election. <laughs> I've always been fond of coding. I first dabbled in a language by the name of Turbo Pascal back in college. College being the anyone with a pulse is welcome. You got a pencil, get the fuck in there. It's college. I found I had an aptitude for them and I would soon move on to other languages like basic and C++ and others that are very likely that very likely mean absolutely nothing to you if you are not in the club. By the way, it's a big club. They beat you there have with Yeah. <laughs> I would ultimately choose a non-programming career path, but my love of coding never waned. I would incorporate it into my daily work life with an emphasis on automation and the web. So when Major League Baseball announced an internet-based voting system for the All-Star game, it was, as they say, in my wheelhouse. 
The voting rules were simple enough. Fans would go to the voting website, choose their favorite players at each position, and submit the ballot. Further, the rules allowed for voting up to 25 times per fan. I assume this was done to make the fans feel like their votes really mattered, but more likely, it was to get more eyes on their advertisements that lined the voting page. And because MLB wanted the fans' email addresses, man, what a precursor to the, today's modern world of metadata and data collection. Um, I mean, what year was this? Uh, 07. God, it seems like yesterday, but it's just ancient history. So, long story short, June 30, 2007, Barry Bonds was elected to his 12th and final All-Star Game. I cannot tell you that we were solely responsible, and I cannot tell you with certainty that the script even worked. I can tell you that we did what we did and that the vote count rose exponentially. And that when I called into Sports Talk Radio's Razor and Mr. T-Show later that week to boast of my accomplishment, I used my old alias of Eric Lang. Because you have to stay true to your roots. So just one of the many crazy stories in this book. I mean, there's, you know, cops with guns and criminal activity and uh, just an insane amount of living packed into a nice paperback book. And, uh, yeah. Also available in hard copy. Also available in hard copy. And uh, where can they find this book if they want to get it? Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any, anywhere. I always had a big dream of reading the entire thing into an audiobook format. Now, I noticed you did a few chapters and put them up, but where are you on the audiobook side of this? Is there an audiobook version of this yet? Fuck, n- not yet. It's on the list of things to do right now. I'm I'm focusing on on the verbs and and getting final out there and doing our little summer tour and all that. Um but yeah, it's definitely it kind of pisses me off that that I've left it for so long, but I will say that writing a book and recording albums are so much easier than doing an audio book of something that you already wrote just because I have this picture in my head of how you know scenes play out and how everything sounds and um you know this that and the other and I, it's it's like 17 takes of each line to get it to where you know I read it in my head you know if that makes any sense and so like the audiobook it's 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 brutal it I'm hoping it will come out someday, but it will be a very heavy lift. Can I get you to commit today on the podcast that <laughs> I will be able to read at least one version of this audiobook into the record uh, for all humanity? Oh, you read it? Because I feel like, you know, uh, I mean, I might or might not be in this book in certain passages. Yeah, he's in this book in certain patches. Oh, wow. I, I flipped right to the page. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy. Uh, yeah. Elliot Cotts, or Elt, as Stephen and a few close friends called him, lived only a mile away, but our hometown of Foster City was a maze of curving parkways littered with cul-de-sacs and waterways that snaked throughout the city, giving more well-to-do homeowners waterfront property than any city should rightly contain. We rolled into the row of garages, one of which was attached to Elt's townhouse, and Stephen let loose an obnoxiously long horn blast, and within (laughs) seconds... Within seconds, the familiar sight of long, curly, flame-red hair appeared, standing at a full six-foot-five when he wasn't showcasing his trademark slouch and tipping the scales at a decidedly less-than-muscular 255 pounds. Elt was an imposing figure, especially for a 17-year-old. Sporting his ever-present Mickey Mouse t-shirt and baggy shorts, one might never guess him to be a blues-rock guitar prodigy. But our band was brash and loud, and we proudly lived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll mantra to a T with the drugs part of the equation. 
And uh, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, my little f- claim to fame. Great book. Can't recommend it enough. It's awesome. We are now. How great is this fucking whiskey? It's pretty great. It's pretty great. You know, uh, High West Double Rye. Speaking of the old Rising Sundays, uh, we should Rising Sundays. The band was Rising Sun. Mm. You know, S O N. The most original band name anybody's ever created. All but, time. Uh, one of the members in that band was the great Hans Schneidenbach. Schneidenbach. And uh, we should call that motherfucker right now. Yeah. Let's see. Let's Bro. see what he's doing. Oh, 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 there he is. Can you hear me? I hear you, bud. Can you, can you hear this? You jerk off. Did you hear that? Yeah. You jerk off. I jerk <laughs> off at least twice a day. What about this? Can you hear wow. this? Hell yeah, player. <laughs> For a roll call right there. What's up, Hans? Hans Schneidenbach, welcome to the 525 Records podcast. You're live uh, on the air in studio with the great Jared Richard. The great. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? How you doing? Good, man. Good. Chilling. We were just uh, reliving some of the glory days, and we wanted to get your take on, on some of your memories. Like, like what do you re- how do you remember getting introduced to the band? Like, who brought you in? Let's see here. Well, Foster City, right? Foster City crew. Uh, I would have to say, shit, man. I think we met you guys in high school, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember like the first time you came and jammed with us at all, or? I mean, I feel like we just hung out first before we jammed, right? Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I knew I knew Jared from uh, from freaking way back. Like I'm talking like middle school and shit. You know, from the neighborhood. So uh, twelve so years kinda... old, running with uh, Steve Tovey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Tovey. Me. Oh, so that's a funny story in itself. So like, um, me and Steve Tovey were like best of friends back then. You know, we were um, we were chilling. That was like uh, somewhere in middle school, and uh, Jared was like the next grade or something older than us. And, uh, he used to drive his bike by my house, which is like, he lived like two or three blocks away and fucking like he drove by one day and Steve Toby started talking shit. And Jared like did a U-turn and came back around to my driveway and we're like, Oh shit. Like what's going on right now? You know, uh, you're talking so- to me. You're, you're talking to me. <laughs> it it kind of blew my mind, but like, we didn't like become friends right away, but like we kind of like did start talking, I think, later on, right, Jared? No, absolutely. And and if I recall correctly, we had a band right before Rising Sun. Okay. Uh, I don't know if we actually had a band name, but it was you on guitar, me on, on vocals. Uh, we had the great Jimmy McTiernan on bass and yes. Harold Rucker on drums. Harold. Yes, yes. And we um, had one song called Glaze My Face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so, yeah, that was like fast forward to um, like the early high school days. That must have been like freshman year for me or yeah. something. Like that. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, I, I I guess I jumped ship and, and, and 
found Elliot and and drummer uh, Josh, and I, I believe I brought you with, and I said, hey, and, you know, and we we made this flipping this crazy rock band, and we we did stuff, and we were gonna conquer the universe. If if I remember correctly. And, you know, those days are kind of hazy and shit, you know? Yeah, a lot of drugs. A lot of drugs, <laughs> a lot of girls, a lot of rock and roll. But, hey, hey that's, that's, I, uh, that's what it's there for. <laughs> I remember it all went down in high school. And, yeah, I remember the band. We used to jam in Shoreview with Jimmy and uh, with Harold and stuff. That was really fun, man. Those those good days, man. But then, yeah, and then we all met. And uh, things got, I think, a little bit more serious, you know? It was, like, probably the first, like, serious band I was in. Well, we- you know. We practiced a lot, and we all because it, because it was so hot in the, the drummer's garage, we all had our shirts off constantly. So it's just like <laughs> you know, three young adolescent males with their shirts off, sweating balls, practicing this uh, rock and roll music. Do you remember any of the old songs? Like we were just listening to them. Uh, yeah, last spiritual discovery, uh, alone. You know, uh, what was the other one? Wild child or child or something? Child was born. I forget, but. A child <laughs> is lifted onto the heavens. Oh my god, that is there. I forgot the fucking lyrics. This is yeah. before Creed. Oh lord. <laughs> I still remember how to play a couple of the songs, but I like. I wish we had a tape of it. I don't we, know if you got it. We do. We were listening to it. Uh, there's no way I can play it right now, but um, ah, that's- I'll send you a copy. There's a Facebook post that I put it. I put it as a video with all the pictures, all the old pictures of us. So. No, that was pretty amazing, man. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was like the first kind of experience I had jamming with like a band that was a little bit, you know, more serious about it. You know, we had that whole like we're gonna fucking make it attitude. You know, we yeah. did we did shows and we Multiple even had a couple- shows. We had we had groupies. We had chicks. <laughs> granted, they were you know. What are you drinking, dude? Like what are you us, drinking? Three Sons Brewing in Ooh. Dania. Oh, you got the all day. I love those. That's Jared's pick. Jared picked these. Yeah, all day. And I have the High West Double Rye Whiskey out of Utah. Oh, IPA. But it's by an East Coast company. It's delicious. I've, uh, you know, I spy on your Instagram feed quite a bit. And you're always going to these little uh, microbrews. You spent a week in Vermont, as I recall, and um, and definitely out in Colorado, just visiting breweries. You're always with a an awesome microbrew in your hand somewhere in the world. Yeah, man. I, I can't get enough of it. I love the shit, you know. I mean, one of those uh, nice things in life, a nice little IPA, and I'm happy. Do you remember a uh, band meeting, Carl's Jr.? Dude, I remember those days like they were the glory days, man. I fucking like, uh, I still remember us like taking up that corner spot in Carl's Jr. The with back the fuck- corner, ashtrays on the table and a, and a carton on the freaking table and the waffle fries and stuff. I felt like like Guns and Roses and shit. Cartoon. We were, like, City Guns and Roses. We were, we were. That was our goal. We were trying to be the next Guns and Roses. Yeah, I stole cigarettes from that Safeway every day for like a year until yeah. they finally busted me. But I had quite the little uh, ring going on. I would go into Safeway. I would back then they sold cigarettes right by the cash register, so I would just put like four packs down my pants and then you know walk out of there. And uh, I, I, did, I hit it every day for about a year, and then they finally busted me. Marlboro. Was... I mean, their their revenue was down. 
yeah. it was down. And now, you know, of course, they're behind lock and key. But back in the day, there used to be a spindrel right by the cash register, like it's People magazine or, you know, a pack of gum or something. I still remember they had a vending machine at, like, fucking... Senor Pepe. At, like, Carl's Jr. or something across the street, right? Yeah, no doubt. They had Senor I- Pepe's. They had they had the vending machine. They they had vending machine like pretty much everywhere. I mean, it was the nineties, li- early nineties, late eighties. It was everywhere, and it, you could literally, you know, I mean, if you were a kid though, you were you were kind of on the ground and doing the the military crawl, you know, to get in there so you wouldn't be noticed. But then you you pop in like four quarters and get your your pack of smokes. Whereas today, a pack of smokes in California is basically ninety seven dollars in your firstborn child and. You know, yeah. but back then, you know, a, a child could could get his birthright of a pack of smokes, no problem. Yeah, I remember they used to have those machines where you like pull the thing and the fucking cigarettes just like pop out the, the bottom and shit. Thunk. So like, it doesn't card you and shit. You just put the money in, boom. What are uh, do you remember how the band broke up? Because I don't. Motherfucker, <clears throat> you fired me. <laughs> oh. Um, I think, I think there was a couple things going on. If I remember right. I mean, I could be wrong, but so remember we were like a high school band. Right. And, uh, I was kind of new to high school. I think I was like a freshman or something like that when we started jamming. And, uh, we, we were together for a while. We did those talent shows and we were, we were really serious and, you know, of course, we we're all like really good friends and stuff. And we were just like just having fun in general for a while. So <clears throat> the the way I kind of saw it was the maybe the drummer was, uh, he you know, he was like a little bit more serious, I feel like at the time. And, uh, you know, maybe me and Jared and you were not. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Like, uh, I think that maybe Jared, Jared, you started getting a little wild, dude. I partied my fucking face off. It was it was yeah, all bad. Kind of all did, but like, yeah, like you know, maybe there was like some personalities crashing there, and um, I think too. Um, <clears throat> honestly, like towards the end, I started jamming with uh, Bob and Dave. Do you remember them? You don't. Bob Simmons and Dave. Yeah, Dave Wang. I, I think maybe when things started kind of falling apart with whatever we were doing, I basically started like kind of jumping into that band at the time. You know, maybe there was like some personality kind of clashes, not personality clashes because we were all friends, but you know, like that ego kind of clashing shit going on, you know, and maybe, maybe people were just partying too much, you know, weren't really like being serious about it. Let's be honest, you know? So that's probably what happened. You know, we were all kids and we were all fucking like partying and and doing drugs and, you know, all that kind of shit. We were, we were just doing that. And that became the thing. So, you know, when you don't take it serious, especially as a band, we all know because we've been in other bands after that, that uh, a band kind of requires you to be more serious, more responsible. And unfortunately, we were just all kids and we we're all getting high and we we're all just having fun, you know. I mean, and then I think, uh, like I said, the drummer, he was, he was, uh, I think he was just more of a serious guy, you know, and 
as I understand it, he actually became a fucking rocket scientist, like literally. So, you know, hats to him. But he was a real ball buster. He was like the engine, the whip cracker, you know. No, it's not right. Do it again. Yes. Yeah. And I remember his uh, his hero was uh, Lars Ulrich. No. Yeah. Lars from Metallica, right? That was like his dude. So technical. It was Lars and Matt Sorum. Jared, did you want to? Yeah, Lars and Matt Sorum, two of my all-time least favorite drummers of all time. I'm just saying. Uh, Hans, you want to say anything else? You got any plugs? What are you doing these days? Uh, You know what? Not much. I mean, uh, I was in a band uh, a while back, and this is going back a while because I, you know, I started having kids and stuff. So, last time I was in like a serious kind of situation, a serious band was probably about nine years ago. You know, we were playing out here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, South Florida. We played clubs. Um, it was a band called Minority Assembly. It was uh, basically like a pop punk rock band. You know, uh, maybe something along the lines of like, uh, like bad religion or kind of like '90s Cali punk stuff. You know, the guys were really cool. Like we had a great time, and what happened was, um, you know, the drummer kind of had to move back. He was actually from South America. He moved back. I had kids. The thing kind of just like fell apart. And then uh, just recently, though, we've been jamming. You know, nothing serious, but we've been jamming, but it's been kind of like, um, it's been a challenge to like keep people, uh, like, you know, our, uh, the bass player we were jamming with kind of like stepped off and I don't know. It's one of the things we talked about a lot on this podcast is especially at the jump is how hard it is to keep a band going. You know, even when you're young and good looking, it's and everybody's motivated and on the same page, it's incredibly hard. And when you get to, you know, a certain age in life, it's it gets even harder. So anybody that's in a situation with a band these days is just it's a miracle. I 100% agree with that. You know, it's like you got the personality thing going, which I'm cool. Like, I'm pretty much like uh, I can get along with most people. But like uh, then like you have your musical tastes that often gets in the way. And then for me, the big thing was like having a family, man, to be honest with you. Like, you know, it kind of requires your your attention 100 percent. And well, you know, whatever's left over, you get to like contribute to the band, you know. So like when they want to get together and jam or they want to, you know, do this and that. Like, honestly, to be in a band, seriously, you really have to like give all your attention to that shit, man. You know, I don't know. So it's been, kind of, I still play music though. I still, you know, you can see, do me uh, a favor. Do me a favor. What is that Gibson guitar back there? The tobacco burst. Grab that fucker. Oh yeah. That's actually not a Gibson dude. What is it? This is a Yamaha. I don't know if you can see it, but uh, Yamaha was like an SA22 or something like that. It's, you know, it's like a 335 Yamaha version. Pretty tight. I didn't want to spend the fucking uh, $6,000 for a real Gibson, but this thing, to be honest with you, plays, I think, just as nice. Awesome. And, of course, I got the, the custom shop Strat. Nice. So, <clears throat> 60s custom shop, Strat, you know, just a bunch of pedals, a uh, freaking 
Pro Reverb. Is that a vintage? Oh, that's a Pro Reverb. Yeah, it's like a early 70s Pro Reverb. Nice. Damn. Yeah, that thing's freaking glorious when turned up, man. Sounds so good. Then I got, you know, the Vibro Champ. I got some Mesa Boogie in the corner. I got a little Marshall half stack with a clone on it. Of course, the turntable and all that shit, you know? Dope. Oh, here's the other thing I've been messing with. MPC. MPC. Look at that. You know about that, right, Elliot? Not really. Is it a drum machine? Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's like a music production kind of type thing. Um, Yeah, it's a drum machine, sampler. uh, Loop and loop trigger. Everything in a box, you know? So what are your, uh, do you have any like memories that stick out of Jared in particular? Since he's the guest on the podcast, we have to talk about him 24 seven. Oh, we have to talk about Jared. Man, I have so many memories of Jared. I mean, like I said, we go back, uh, way back, man. Um, we're talking, you know, back to like middle school. Uh, the ones that stick out the most is that one time where we told him he was a piece of shit when he was riding his bike past us. And, uh, he ended up turning around and driving right up to our face. That was like the funniest shit I've ever seen. And it was honestly very cool. And I think that's how we became friends. Um, you know, obviously jamming with you guys, that was like a really big part of my kind of coming up, you know, it was, it was great times. Uh, Jared. Okay. So there were some memories at your old house in, in Foster city too, that actually like stand out in my mind. Cause you know, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, like you said, crazy shit going on. And, uh, I remember my friend Gio is actually, you know, cause my brother's friend Gio, you know, they were all freaking older than us, but we used to all hang together anyways. Yeah. Yeah. He ended up finding like heart medication, <gasps> some shit at I, your house. Heart medication. Fucking remember this. And he fucking crushed it up and railed it up on the fucking table. And he started doing rails of heart medication and just fucking like passing out on the couch. Back. So we were a little background. We were very naughty young men, and we what? we we like to snort stuff. Be it. <laughs> Uh, narcotics per se and uh the people we ran we and, everybody uh, the people we ran with like to snort those narcotics as well and Hell yeah player like i said we were very uh uh how should i say it is it, it was fucking crazy man like we would come up with whatever fucking way we could get high that day that it was just getting that fucking crazy like if uh if if I had to get some like cloves out of my your fucking mom's like spice drawer and shit and and grind them up and put them in a foil pipe and smoke them, you know, like we we would find ways to like have whatever we need, you know. Yeah. On um, we were just chasing that fucking uh, that high. I mean, that's all you could really say. And there was really, thank God, you know, we didn't get into like the really heavy shit like. Uh, you know, a little bit, uh, little bit yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. But like, you know, thank God it wasn't like, uh, 
you know, the heroin and shit like that. But, um, at least, at least most of us, but I I didn't really fuck with that. I mean, you know, we were most, I did, you know, but we didn't really fuck with that. But like basically everything else was like fair game and it was like all, you know, it could be like all at the same time and, uh, yeah, heart medication. I mean, that, that kind of tells you the kind of shit we were doing in foster city during that time. You guys are both parents now. What are you going to tell your kids? Because you guys were 15 when you're doing that shit. Now your kids are going to be Uh-oh. there any any day now. What are you going to do when your kids show up snorting heart medication? You know, like, first of all, I don't think my kids would be doing that because I'm going to try to raise them, like, kind of more knowledgeable so that when they get to that point in their life, because they will all be, like, approached with that shit and they will all have those like urges to like branch out you you know we all know they're gonna be there but like you know hopefully they're gonna be smart enough like when they get to that point to where they know the difference between you know stupid shit and like stuff that's acceptable like you know to be honest with you uh you know i'm i'm pretty liberal like person and uh you know, if they experiment a little bit, I won't be completely shocked and I won't, you know, I won't like uh, disown them or anything for that shit, but I'm definitely going to try to sway them away from it, you know? And like what we did was dangerous, to be honest with you. What we did was fucking dangerous. Uh, so, you know, as a parent, obviously I'm going to try to like deflect that off of my kids, but, you know, I don't want all that for them. I'm just talking about what we did. That doesn't mean I want that for my kids. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, I mean, at this point, you're looking around and saying, you know, I'm so glad we survived that. I mean, just sheer stupidity of, you know, hey, I got an idea. Let me jump in front of a car and see what happens. It, you know, that's kind of the way we lived. You know, that said, you know, we, we grew up in a weird generation where we were latchkey kids that, you know, parents worked all the time and we basically took care of ourselves and and it was kind of left up to us to figure the fucking thing out and if i could interject here you know our, our generation we were all about getting fucked up and running away from home and doing whatever yeah. drugs we could do the next generation these get these kids coming up now they could care less they don't want a driver's license they're just on social media they don't want to do drugs they don't even have sex man they're so plain jane these these kids these days but your guys's kids it's going to come full circle and it's going to be back to the you know 1960s sort of uh, atmosphere to your point, despite this going on social media right now, uh, social media is to fucking blame for, for a large majority of this. I mean, it just people, you know, it's fucking infecting and permeating, you know, I mean, I, I can't even imagine with my daughter, you know, when she grows up. But I will say this, our generation, at least we are raising our children as opposed to our parents who kind of just said, fuck it, let them do it for themselves. I was 13 when I lost my virginity. How old were you? 13. Oh, uh, 14. Hans? Uh, I think I was 16. Rookie. 16. I'm going to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. <laughs> uh, we got to wrap this up. We got two more phone calls to do, buddy. Thank you for joining the 525 Records podcast. It was been a blast talking to you. We, I'm, we're going to talk out off the pod and hopefully hang out one of these days. Hans, and, uh, bro. Hans, legend. 
member of the 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 legendary Rising Sun band from Foster City, California. Right. Thanks for joining the pod, man. Good talking to you. All right, love you guys. Love Later. you too, man. Oh man, that was awesome, man. Hans, what a guy. Um, man, this has been an incredible podcast. It's been cool to walk down memory lane and uh, hear what the verbs are up to. Where so theverbs dot com. Uh, as I remember, it's a memoir by Jared Richard. Five two five records dot com for all your for all things five two five. Check us out. You know we're on Instagram and uh, all the other places. And uh, uh, Jared Richard, my guest today on the Five Two Five Records podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for coming down and doing the pod, man. I appreciate it. It's good to catch up, and hopefully we can do this again next year and make this a regular thing. Brother, thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a blast. Cool. Love it. On that note, 525records.com, and uh, we'll see you next time. Salud. Yeah, you nailed all of it. How many hours have I been gone? I still have the sickness. I could all have gone so wrong. Well, a plan. Yeah, Mike. Uh, yeah. The difference is having both of the guitar. Uh, Every style. All right, kill it.